Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Art of War podcast, your favorite vanilla host over here, the chocolate brown magic himself, Nick Nanavati. I am back as the uh, original host for the Art of War show, and I'm here to stay. I'm here to stay. We've got a new direction I really am excited about. We have a new host set, and we have uh, some new ideas and some new life we're going to bring to the show, and I'm just super excited to do that. This is all in part thanks to you, our listeners, our subscribers, the people who support us on part two and join us for where we cover the matchups, or even the people who just listen to the free part one. You all let us keep doing this. Let us do a podcast week in, week out, every week, forever. And that means the world to me. So thank you so much. I'd also like to introduce now our new host, our brand new host, someone I've had the pleasure of working with for the better part of a year now, Mr. Paul Murphy. How are you, Paul? Hey, Nick. Thanks for having me here. Looking forward to uh, talking to folks on this side of the fence. Absolutely. For those of you who don't know Paul, he is my co-host as the head commentator for the Games Workshop stream. So if you ever check out one of those GW US Open events, uh, check out the Twitch channel, Warhammer.tv, and uh, you'll see me and Paul talking in front of a camera. It's awesome. Uh, He also, you do the Forge the Narrative podcast, don't you, Paul? Why don't you tell us about that? I do. Forge the Narrative is, uh, well, it's a long-running show. Uh, you know, kind of part of the second generation, I think, of Warhammer 40,000 podcasts. So if um, if you do like hearing about uh, some combos, some new stuff, some hobby stuff uh, with some great uh, host and panelist, check us out over there. If you have not already, you can find Forge the Narrative wherever, wherever you get your podcast, really. That's awesome. Yeah, Forge the Narrative, check it out. It's one of the most awesome shows in 40K podcasts out there. Highly recommend it. But today is not about Forge the Narrative. Today we are taking someone else from Forge the Narrative, Red Powell, and talking about him and his beautiful guard army that he's taking to Adepticon. Most people haven't heard about Astro Militarum in the past few years. They haven't really gotten any new releases, new rules, new models, or anything cool. Uh, unless I'm mistaken, Red, you'll correct me. But um, somehow, this man is still out here making it work, fighting the good fight. Red, how are you? I'm doing great, Nick. How are you? Thank I'm you. Doing- Oh, yeah, no problem. I'm doing awesome. I'm excited to talk about your Astro Militarum. They're an army we have not talked about on the show in, in a long time. Uh, I kind of forgot they were a faction, so uh, I'm eager. Oh, my like, goodness. I, well, you know what, Paul? They're not your blood angels, okay? You pick the battles. <laughs> well, look, let, let me jump in there for a second is, is the fact that uh, we hear a lot about, you know, win rate of armies, win rate of, of uh, you know, that, you know, rank of certain players and what have you. Uh, but, you know, the win rate of what a faction is it does not always translate into the, what, the, what the win rate of a player is. And so, you know, we really want to look at the the uh, pilot, the faction itself, and then the choices these pilots are taking for these factions that we would consider underperforming. Yeah, I think that's a great point. A big thing with win rates, now we have things like Goonhammer and they collect all the stats and, and just give it to us every week. You can see Guard is struggling, Astro Militarum, but... You know, that's representative of the entire populace of Imperial Guard players. You know, Red over here is a savant when it comes to this stuff, so maybe he can pull some juice out of this codex. <laughs> savant, that, uh, that's a strong word. I, I do happen to play, um, I do find myself playing maybe off-meta lists. I mean, very much by choice. Uh, and not just lists, but entire armies, right? Uh, this year it's Guard. Before that it was Corn. And before that, it was Necrons uh, before we even got into ninth edition. And so, uh, yeah, I appreciate the opportunity to be able to discuss it because I, I had a pretty good run at, uh, I mean, a surprising run. I, I admit my, my predictions for myself going into LVO with this 
a, a different variant of the list that I'm going to talk about today had me. My predictions were two and four, uh, and I actually ended up going four and two. And so I was oh, pretty. Wow. Uh, I, I was I was pretty pleased. I mean, I I, I was very surprised to have gone uh, undefeated. Uh, in day one of LVO with with Astro Milit- well, it was an Imperium mix because I had Celestine, but that that's again, it it was um it was it was a great time, and I was really glad with how the army operates, and I'm really looking forward to taking forward this new variant to Adepticon. So, well, if we can introduce one more thing, is you're also playing with a very themed list, you know, so you're you're very much you mentioned that playing what you want to play, and then doing well i mean I, I walked past your table and you were you were beating jukari so you know this, this is not a lot of talk here you're actually putting it on the table uh with some some what i would say interesting army, uh, army list choices uh and then skilled play but red before we jump into that you want to tell us a little bit about what you're up to and and the teams you're on and that kind of oh, stuff yeah 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 thank you yeah outside of being uh, at my my awesome opportunity as uh, one of, of your co-hosts, Paul, with Forge the Narrative, which is one of my my favorite weekly uh, activities, I am also the U.S. Army Esports team captain uh, for Army uh, for the 40K tabletop wargaming side of things. We are expanding into Age of Sigmar and Underworlds and Kill Team and all sorts of avenues, but primarily we are the esports team for 40K. And so, uh, you know, at, at LVO we had we've got these cool banners, we've got uh, our, our jerseys and everything. The team's approximately uh, it's over 50 people. We are are an at-large team that our community is a, across the in, entire United States, as well as with members uh, what we call OCONUS outside of the continental U.S. Uh, we've got members in Europe, we've got members in Alaska and Hawaii and Japan. And so uh, it's, it, you know, anywhere the army is, surprisingly. And uh, so with that, it, it's really awesome to to be able to take, you know, as we look forward into this, what I'm doing now with the Astro Militarum, there's definitely some resonant themes there. Uh, and I'm, I'm really glad to have the opportunity as well to be able to represent the United States Army, which has been my you know, life and career. Uh, for the better part of being an adult, so it, it's uh, yeah. So those those are some of the things I, I'm I'm largely up to, outside of this. That's amazing. Well, thank you so much for serving our country, of course, and then also being the captain of this Army esports team for 40k. That is no small feat. I, I've seen the jerseys around at events. I know I played against some of the Army esports team members. Uh, I've had great interactions with all of them. Is this just a, a Warhammer team, kind of like Beast Coast or Art of War or all those other ones, or is it? Um, is there more to it with the army backing it? Yeah, so I mean, with it, we are we're absolutely it's sponsored by the United States Army. It's an official team. Uh, we are a community outreach program. It is. It's we, you know, if if you played against them, Nick, I'd like to think that they they had some uh, competitive aspirations uh, that they were playing up in the the oh, events. Yeah, certainly, <laughs> they they do pretty well. Uh, you know, I, we finished last year fifteenth uh, in the overall standings uh, for the teams. We had uh, Mark Ace finished number one for Demons uh, in the ITC factions, and so we've got some great players. But it's really for us. It's it's more about a, a comprehensive player approach, and not saying that that the other teams don't, because uh, clearly, I mean. You know, there's yourself, there's Richard Siegler. Art of War is, is another one that I would say has a comprehensive approach to, to players and, and the, the hobby as a whole. Uh, 
and so for us, it's it's a similar kind of deal. We we look for not just competitive players, but also players who can engage and do right by the community, and, and can also represent the army well. And so that that's uh, that that's really our goal and objective with the community that we're trying to build. I think that's awesome. I think like you can be good at Warhammer, and that's cool and all that. This is a podcast about getting better at Warhammer, but. Coming, coming at it with that comprehensive approach, you know, making friends, those connections, doing it with the right attitude, sportsmanship, that cannot be glossed over. And I'm so happy that you guys are bringing that as well. I had nothing but positive things to say about the Army players I played against, both on the table and as people. So, hell yeah, all for it. Next opportunity, we're going to get to see that is at Adepticon coming up. So by the time you're hearing this, we might actually be at Adepticon. I think all of us will actually be there. We're winning this on the show right now. Yeah, we're going to talk about Red's army that he's taking to Adepticon while he's in the middle of winning Adepticon with it. <laughs> <laughs> Look, people can f- hear, hear about it, follow along, see what's happening, you know, or uh, maybe we can diagnose it like, oh, no, what went wrong? You know, <laughs> fact. Uh, but yeah, this is this is a, a storied event as well. Uh, I think we've all been there for multiple years. This is one you cannot miss. And so if you did not get the opportunity to come this year, or it just wasn't right for you. You, you definitely want to check it out next year uh, and you get to, to see all, all kind of things. And one of the things you do get to see is a lot of people playing Warhammer 40,000. Yeah, it's one of the largest Warhammer 40,000 conventions in the world. It's also, I think, one of the largest painter conventions. So if, if like kicking ass on the table is is not your thing or if you also have an appreciation for the hobby, this is an amazing hobby event. I got a lot of other stuff going on. It's a pretty enormous convention. Yeah, Golden Demon's going to be there this year. So. Golden Demon, so. first time in a while. Uh, yes, I uh, cannot, cannot <laughs> wait to see what's what's happening there. Oh, yeah. And then, of course, so, so, shameless plug here, Art of War will be uh, teaching classes on Wednesday night before the big show. So if I uh, think they're mostly sold out, but maybe you can sneak a few tickets in there. Uh, there's a beginner's class and an advanced class. So you'll get live coaching from the Art of War coaches. And then, well, if you can't get a chance to go to Adepticon, we'll also be at the Dallas Open uh, at the end of April and the Motor City Mayhem in May. So check us out. We'll be coaching. But okay. Um, so with this now, Red, uh, let, let's talk about your list. I don't know if you've made any changes to respond to anything in, in the format recently, but if if you can, if we get as we're running down your list to get to something like that, if you wouldn't mind just noting it, maybe we'll talk about it later. But I uh, want to have folks follow along with the conversation, so want them to know exactly what you're taking. Sure. Sure. So, uh, yeah, I mean, so looking at it with with Adepticon, right? Uh, I had initially thought, and I mean, I made some changes, of course, going into it, but really I thought I was preparing for Adepticon format of, of old, um, but clearly they, they've moved into the new ninth edition, uh, you know, consolidated format, which is, I, I mean, I, I think it's great. Which with is using that, Games Workshop missions and... Correct. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And so, so going forward with that, um, oh, go ahead, Nick, sorry. I was going to say, Adepticon is one of those long-standing historical events for those not familiar with it, and it typically runs its own Wild West missions. Um, back in the day, Games Workshop wasn't so involved with the tournament circuit, so there was more freedom for the TOs to just create their own formats, and sometimes they were wacky and all over the place, sometimes they were awesome, um, but I think now they're doing a more conformative style with GW being so involved in the game. Well, Correct. there is there's still plenty of freedom for tournament organizers to do whatever they want. Uh, but I, there's also that consistency between the, all the different types of events uh, that I think some tournament or not organizers may strive for because, you know, it influences what people actually put in their list as well. So, you know, and I think that's going to be neat to see still the flexibility out there, but also as we kind of true up what you can expect to see at events. And so, you know, I think that will bring out some of the actual competition side. 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. And and so with that, it's um, there there were some slight changes to my list because my list as it was before uh, the the new GT season began, right? The the Nachman or Nachman uh, set up the war zone wasn't in effect at LVO, right? And so my previous list was a mix of a custom guard regiment as well as Catechin because I was using the 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 I was using their regimental benefits to the benefits of my artillery pieces, which allowed me to reroll. Um, now, of course, you can't have mixed detachments like that. Your army has to be complete throughout. And so I had to blend. Uh, I, I dropped the, the, the Catechin and I brought in a different kind of custom regiment. Uh, for my guards specifically, because I'm, I'm my theme is Gonskos, right? That that's my approach, and so it's funny, you know. You say, well, what did you change for, you know, the the format or going into it? I totally understand what the meta is going into this. I understand where Custodes and Tau are. I understand where Drukari and Admech are. Um, I did not change my list necessarily based largely on the meta. I do have some considerations, which I'll cover, but I changed my list based on the story, um, <laughs> the story I was trying to go with, with my army. Um, That's I, wanted, okay. I wanted to be pure Astra Militarum. I, I, as much as I appreciated being one of the few Imperium characters at LVO, um, and I really enjoyed having Celestine, who from, if you're familiar with Gaunt's Ghost and the stories by Dan Abnett, Celestine was my my story stand-in for the Saint Sabbat, which is a saint character who does some amazing things. And let you know, if you haven't had the opportunity of reading the books, let me just say there's a part in one of the books, without too many spoilers, where she essentially goes into a head-on match between her and a Bane Blade, and um, so she's a pretty awesome character. This is such an consider. awesome approach to list writing as. I'm like a bleeding edge competitive guy, so I'm like, let's talk about combos and efficiency and all that stuff. And you're like, I'm trying to tell a story out here. I love it. I love it. So, so why don't you just go through the list top to bottom so we all are on the same page about what you're taking. Sure. Okay. So uh, it starts with one guard battalion, and that is, I'm calling it Tanith. Uh, the the regimental benefits they're using are wilderness survivors. So as long as they don't advance, the all the infantry units count as in cover. And then they also have gunnery experts, which essentially allows my vehicles to re-roll a number of the dice, one of the dice that uh, they would roll for the number of shots. And so that's the, the, the regiment-wide benefits they have. Then the headquarters for this battalion, I have, I'm bringing Commissar Yark, who I'm actually using uh, Severina Reigns model for, uh, because there's a female commissar in the story that uh, she's pretty awesome uh, all around, and that's I thought it was a great representation. Then I'm using Gaunt's Ghost, uh, which is the Warlord unit. So that's uh, a six-character unit. So we're already... I'll just keep this count in the background. We're at seven <laughs> characters right now. Um, Gaunt's Ghost, if you're not familiar with it, each one of them has uh, th their own special ability that they add to the unit overall. So, for example, I won't go through it all. There's one, Colm Corbeck. Uh, he has a uh, ability that essentially makes one of my Astra Militarum stratagems cost le one less CP. So, and for a lot of cases, that means that this, the stratagem is essentially free. And he can do that once per battle round. Um, so it's pretty awesome little ability, whereas as Gaunt, um, 
he has the ability not just to share his leadership, but also, you know, the unit's fearless to morale. And then there's another one that gives them all five up in wounds. And so they can't be targeted outside of 18 inches and they can forward deploy if they want. Um, it, it's just a cool little combo unit. Very, very uh, story heavy in regards to what they're capable of. And surprisingly, you know, there, there's, uh, if I'm not mistaken, there's three of them with four wounds, two of them with three wounds and one of them with two wounds. So for six characters, I just described a unit that has uh, 20 wounds between it. So it's um, <laughs> it's a fun little unit, to say the least. That That's probably the one guard thing out there, Nick, that if you mentioned, you know, things that you hadn't seen in the last few years, uh, that's a relatively new unit, came out within the last year, um, but was kind of a sleeper deal because it automatically gives away Assassinate just for bringing that unit. <laughs> Usually you're not trying to give your opponent secondaries when you're writing lists. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh, well, and that's, I, I kind of just, and I admit, like, I, I've brought it up every single time. Uh, at LVO, I had only one person uh, really break the bank on Assassinate uh, out of six games. So I, 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 I try not to say it's a trap because it really isn't. The characters are there. You just got to get to them. Well, that's the thing. Um, it is a bit of a trap. I don't want to derail us with secondary talk too much, but when you put like seven, eight characters, you want know, to say, I dare you to go get them all. They can, <laughs> but if they say they're going to, they better do it. Otherwise, here's my big old zero on assassinate. Hey, Nick, right. got to say some of that for part two. Uh, we're going to have a part two yeah. after this. Uh, that's my bad. Part, folks. folks. No, my no, bad. it's okay. It's very important <laughs> because every with all these have currently having the, uh, you know, they have the keyword character, uh, which plays into a secondary choice. And, but that also, you know, your opponent is telegraphing what they're going to do all you know, as well. So, you know, you, you'll get some opportunity to interact with that that choice, and that'll be fun to talk about later on. Yeah. So uh, eighth, uh, eighth character here, my third HQ choice is a company commander with laurels of command. Um, they, I mean, it, not like it matters, you know, come with obligatory power sword, because if I'm going to hit something, I'm going to hit it with a sword. Um but the laurels of command, being able to stack the orders and the way that the the new the the balance data sheet added to guard for allow me to bubble orders essentially. That's where you give an order and every infantry guard unit within six inches can then receive this can choose to receive the same order. And so I don't need at LVO I had three company commanders and there was a whole other reason to that too. But I needed that to get the orders around and I quickly realized with the balance data sheet that I did not need that. And so a company commander giving two orders, and I'll just go ahead and hit in the entire list, every single unit I have has a Vox, a Vox caster. So I can give all of my orders within 18 inches instead of six inches, um, which is a pretty big deal given the blobs of, of units. So as I go into troops, I've got six infantry squads. Uh, four of those infantry squads have flamers and two of them have snipers. And that's a very... Uh, Gaunt's ghost story approach. You hear so many of them have flamers or there's, you know, scouts embedded within the squads and that kind of deal. So that that's where that approach comes from. The, I mean, flamers are cool and everything. It's better than las guns, um, but it's still, um, it, it's, it's pretty clear. You know, this is not the most efficient, but it's definitely plays right in line with the Gaunt's ghost storyline. Um, to the elites, there's a commissar with a plasma pistol. Uh, that's Commissar Hark, who is one of the, again, the commissar cadre that's known in the story. And then the Ministorum priest is uh, the, the priest Zvile, who is 
another character again to the story. So slight deviation from the story because everyone will say where were where were these next units I'm about to mention in the story because they're not in there. <laughs> I have uh, my heavy options. Well, you don't see them yet. Some there's that, a reason. <laughs> that's right. No, so I, I do have my own little like head cannon that I've added because uh, you know you read the stories. There's a part where Gaunt's ghost actually twice goes uh, maybe three times kind of goes off the radar and so given the administratum and how the imperium works like there were other reinforcements throughout time that just kind of showed up or were designated so at one of these points while Gantz goes the army itself the entire army was like missing from the scene of action um, the administratum kind of brought these other folks in. And so that's where I've got this headcanon of these other units kind of popped up. And so <laughs> getting to this and people will be like, oh, okay, here's where Red actually used the Imperial Guard, you know, material to do something slightly competitive. Um, I have two mana cores with full payload each. Gaunt as a warlord doesn't get anything special. He just gets a basic rulebook warlord. So I've forfeited that warlord trait. And then I took tank ace for an extra CP at the beginning, uh, you know, in list construction so that each of my mana cores has full payload, which means that they do 2d6 shots, uh, strength 10, AP minus two, flat three damage. Um, and then of course I get to reroll one of those thanks to gunnery experts uh, for the number of shots. And so if I can jump in for just one second, so when you hear people talk about it, like you know, they're talking fast about the tournament, you know, payload mana cores, that's exactly what they're describing is everything you just lined up there, that extra damage, the shots. So that's, that's what right. they're talking about. It's one of the most devastating things in the Astro Militarum range right now. It is. I mean, it's great. You know, of course, yeah, so it's guard. They hit on fours. Uh, there is a stratagem that if you're visible to them, they can, uh, it, it's add one to the hit roll. Um, and then, of course, with other effective roles, you know, so Yarick, the cool thing, just leading into some of the synergies, Yarick has a, a everyone within six inches rerolls ones to hit. Uh, and if I'm fighting orcs, which aren't as much of a thing right now in the meta, but are definitely still out there, um, I get to reroll all my hits. Uh, so there's that. But uh, so, <laughs> yeah. And then there's my, my one wyvern. Uh, 46 strength four, no AP, one damage, but I get to reroll all the wounds. Um, so it's pretty, it's pretty, and there's a stratagem for them for to uh, allow them to reroll all their hits too. So nice little uh, indirect support that I've got with the list because uh, they can sit in the back and, and hold it down. And, and they've done pretty well. It, it's swingy. I, I totally acknowledge that it's swingy. I played two custodes lists, awesome custodes list at uh, at LVO. Um, and some some pretty high deals and <laughs> one game uh, the mana cores failed to do anything. Uh, the next game that I played against Custodes, the mana cores there were there were eight bikes on the field and then there was one bike on the field. Um, so the mana cores can do really well or they can not. Uh, you um, also missing, mentioned Yark too, and Yark for a the points and I know we haven't talked specifically about points. He's 105 points for that character, which is a lot to invest in. For guard, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, he's tough. He's, you know, he's a little bit tougher and, you know, has some some tricks, uh, but he's also got this, like, kind of force multiplier uh, to put in some power near power pieces in your army, and so could potentially be worth it and can act as a little bit of counter-assault, push comes to shove. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. It's it's a fun deal to have. I, I really enjoy it. So finishing up that battalion, I do have one agent of the Imperium, which is a Calidus Assassin. Um, the Calidus Assassin has been fun. I've really enjoyed having her in there. Um, I use one of my own 
models in there that's it's like a assassin inquisitor kind of deal uh, again part of my little headcanon deal uh, he's an assassin that was attached to this random off-branch regiment that's being brought into the guard and so he uh he goes about and just makes everybody's day worse uh like it you know and then having the calidus being able to switch it to uh Calexus or or what have you for the most part the calidus has some awesome efficiencies i really enjoy making people's uh cp cost extra uh or their stratagems cost extra cp um it's a fun little headache off to the side for the list okay so uh moving into my second detachment it's a scions battalion um specifically using the 133rd lambda lions and so with them they have some awesome synergy for their hq so uh, i'll just go through the list on this to finish it up but the hq i have three tempestor primes and this is similar to my lvo list where i had three company commanders mainly because it unlocks the command squads for each tempestor prime there is and so three Tempestor Primes, they all have the command rods, which allow them each to give an additional order. They normally only give one order. Um, just in case the squad split up or they're a distance apart or I need some flexibility with move, move, move or what have you. Um, it's awesome to be able to have that. Totally worth the extra five points. Um, the troops, I have three Scion squads, each with two Meltas. So that's six Meltas. Oh, and, and you know, by the way, at our, our character count, we were at nine with the Calidus, and now we're at 12 with the Tempestor Primes. Um, and then I go into my Elite, which are the Scion command squads, where that's, that's legitimately everybody with Meltas. So that ends up being a total of 12 right there, 12 plus six. So we're at 18 Meltas across the board and then my final addition to the list which is my change out from celestine and by no means equal but still fun is inquisitor eisenhorn uh, with enough points to be able to bring in the demon host which is cherubale from the eisenhorn books uh, another amazing dan abnett series and so to have eisenhorn and cherubale is going to be a ton of fun uh, I don't usually bring psychers too much, being a Necrons player, then a Corn player, and then even at LVO, I didn't have any psychers in my guard list. But having Eisenhorn is going to be a ton of fun. So that wraps up my list with a total of uh, 13 characters. Only 13? Come on. Only 13. Man. I know. Yeah, I'll, I'll try harder numbers. next time. If you're not giving <laughs> your opponent 45 assassinate points on your own, like, what are you even doing? <laughs> Yeah, I'll no, try harder next time. Try harder. I love the I love the list because I I know you're you're making some choices that may be not the most competitive to go out of the way to for your story. Um, but you really haven't gone that far out of your way. This doesn't look like a bad guard list to me or anything. It's you know, flamers and snipers on random squads cost five points. Gaunt's ghosts they they give you a lot of interesting rules. So and then if you're already gonna give away assassinate points, just throw all caution to the wind and give them give them the full. 15 there so it's interesting uh, can you talk about how it plays on the table like strategically like what's the general vibe to it yeah so first i mean the, the army i'd like to say it looks it looks all right um I, i'd like to say that it, it is aesthetically pleasing to look at um they all have cloaks i've i've got a bunch of third party additions on them of these cloaks because in the story they all their uniform they all work these camo cloaks um, so when you see it and you count up, right, so there's 60 infantrymen right out the gate, and then you've got the Scions, which I'm going to use Scion model, models, but they also have the cloaks, and that's 15, 
12, so 22. So we're looking at about uh, 80, almost 90 infantry models right there across the board. I'm not going to say it all blends together, and by no means am I like trying to, to hide anything. But, you know, when you're looking at a Tau list, you could say, oh, well, that's a Riptide, and those are stealth suits, and that's a Ghost Keel, all by varying size. Well, when you're looking at a Guard Blob across your front, okay, I have 90 infantry in front of me, and then I have two wyvern or two mana cores and one wyvern in the back um it it becomes something of this blob in front and you know it, we're no stranger to blobs we we understand bus stop list and and what's out there as far as how many boys are out there and how many gaunts uh not gaunts ghosts but as in like hormagaunts and termagaunts <laughs> um so There's like we're, one we're, gaunts ghost player out there it's, it's <laughs> but so um, I, I do think that it's it's something that people are not familiar with. And so um, what I saw a lot and, and you know, I, I'm not trying I don't hide anything by any means, but um, I did see several instances where people just walked into the melta guns. I, I, you know, there's there's such a number of them. It's hard to get away from. So I acknowledge that. But um there, there were some awesome instances where these Melta guns were able to, to actually do just enough. They are swingy. I mean, it's still, uh, you know, D6 plus two within half range, and it's not like they're any extended range. Uh, but there's just enough synergy going around with orders, being able to reroll ones to hit, being able to reroll ones to wound. It, there, there's, it, it boosts the efficiency enough just to make it to the point where they are surprisingly deadly. And so you've got to get through, I've got move, move, move. I can put objective secured models down where I need to. It's, it's a fun aspect in that I do have a lot of flexibility with the list that I, I just don't think people are typically that they, they've seen it recently. Right. I mean, like you mentioned there, there hasn't been anything new in years with the guard in a lot of cases, but they have some, some tried and true, aspects to them that I think are absolutely worth it. And so I have a lot of fun getting it out there and, and it's not a gotcha factor by any means, but I mean, you know, a great example is I was getting tore up in round two of LVO by this awesome chaos player with uh, a disco Lord. I mean, literally in my business, he was in my, my, my backyard, just, he just demolished a unit of sisters that I had that went along with my Celestine deal and he chewed through a a uh, one of my command squads, and this one Melta guy ends up surviving. And he, I mean, he turns around and shoots the Disco Lord in the next turn. Hit goes through, wound goes through. He fails his invuln save, and then I roll a six on damage. It does eight damage, and it kills the Disco Lord who had already done some damage to. Like it's those kinds of things where that you know that that <laughs> that uh. 18 point model just nuked a disco lord that happened to to get too close to it and so That's inspiring yeah it is it is and and so i'm 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 there there are some cases like my first game against custodes at lvo where nothing nothing swingy with and it wasn't just dice i mean he totally crushed me with it it was awesome um but the i i also didn't have my my efficiency support going for me and uh it uh it, it's a thing it's just embracing that understanding that i'm gonna i'm gonna have some good roles i'm gonna have some bad roles and at the end of the day it, it a lot of my placement and how i i maneuver my units into the position 
is going to matter a lot more. Understanding what move, move, move can do for me and how to, to synergize all those different orders to really take what looks like on paper some pretty or relatively blander units and put them to the next level is uh, it's pretty crucial for the strategy. And so uh, I, I always look forward to this opportunity to take something that that may feel like it's it's not doesn't have the what we'll call you know the the ninth edition advantage uh, in a lot of ways um, because I, I, I don't necessarily think it always has it. Let me jump in there really quick. So sure. It sounds like you're basically trying to use your move, move, move order and deep striking from your scions and just general careful positioning with your units to put them in positions to rob your opponent's primary um, and set yourself up for melt the guns, do awesome work, basically, because you have those rerolls to hit, you have rerolls to wound, manticores are pounding from downtown, that's your damage output. So... I'm trying to envision this army on the table deployed. You kind of described it as a blob, just a bunch of infantry standing in front of vehicles. Are you normally deep striking your scions or are they also just deploying? So I will, I'll, I'll mix some inside the units because I want them, I'll try and make them as out of sight as possible um, because I, clearly they're a precious unit. They've, they've got some value for me. Um, and, uh, so with this, it's understanding what my opponent has clearly. You know, I, I know that you're no stranger to this. And, and am I actually going to be able to deep strike? Because for me, so first of all, I use movement, the uh, apocalypse movement trays, uh, because I've got, you know, I'm, I'm getting old. I can't move as dexterous as I wanted. And you've got, <laughs> yeah. you know, 90 infantry. It really helps for me to use these movement trays. And it's a time do, game, right? Anytime, if you can save yourself a little bit of that and it's a courtesy to your opponent, then utilize some of the, this technology. Right. And so and so with that, I'm, I'm doing that. Uh, I'm blocking out other people. I'm using that blob very uh, it's you know, and this is something that I'm, I'm sure a lot of people are familiar with just trying to keep people from being able to deep strike themselves. I want them to to just not even think about it. I want them to just say, well, there's too much on the field and I'm not getting into the background because I'm going to have units that can sit back and just hold out the backfield and prevent people from deep striking in. And then I take this blob forward and they've got to start advancing. I've got to get those infantry squads up and out to a certain extent. And then, so if I'm going to have the scions, any of them down, they've got to be in those crucial hidden positions where bikes can't just flip around the building and shoot them off the field or what have you. Um, and then consider which ones of those that I need to deep strike. So my previous list, I didn't actually have the scions in there to this number. And so I haven't had this much flexibility. Uh, and I, I mean, I've been playtesting and whatnot. And it, the flexibility of having really nine deep striking units uh, that can just do it is has been pretty awesome. And the ability to say, OK, well, I'm just going to put three of these into deep strike and then they're going to come in wherever I want them later. Um, and I do have some ability to clear stuff out. Uh, I, I would not, you know, I, I'm not going to turn that down or say I don't, but when, you know, three Melta squads jump down, they can definitely clear off whatever big thing I don't want to be on the field anymore. Um, one of the so things it, I really love about your list is you have so many infantry shots and you have a wyvern, you have manticores. You actually have a lot of firepower for killing like enemy chaff, like five man swooping hawk squads or opposing small infantry units that normally screen out your deep strikers. So you can clear room and space so your scion squads can actually hit very well. Is that like one of the things you do? 
Yes. Yeah. So that's what I love about the Wyvern is that it, you know, takes something like that, like what you just mentioned, a, a five man squad of swooping hawks or whatever. Um, that Wyvern can can typically do pretty well by me. Um, it can it's it's only strength four, but at 46 shots, um, it does pretty well. And once I clear out those those units, um, it, it makes all the more space for me. So it, it becomes a, a battle space game for me in a lot of cases. It's what territory do I own and how many units can I get to the objective that are going to hold it down? Uh, it, because I, and I totally have accepted in a very uh, Gaunt's Ghost, Imperial Guard kind of way. Uh, I, I don't have limitless numbers of people, but I do have just enough people to really surge on objectives and surge the battlefield. Uh, Gaunt's Ghost is, you know, Gaunt, and Commissar Gaunt, one of his uh, mainstay quotes is, no, nobody wants to live forever. Um, <laughs> and so with that That's mindset... <laughs> I, I definitely approach uh, a lot of this just understanding that I'm going to lose things. I'm going to lose it in bits and pieces, or I'm going to lose parts of it in wholesale, depending on how the opponent's list is. And so I'll throw different aspects of the kitchen sink at them and try and overwhelm certain points. Finding a, a point of penetration in the, the opponent's setup is crucial to getting these these units in there and then once they're in there a lot of the cases they have to get rid of them after that and so trying to force my opponent to deal with those dilemmas like you mentioned it's it looks like a blob up front but as i start to move forward and you see these units start to move 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 forward and forward it, it causes a lot uh, it, it can cause a lot of consternation in the battlefield especially up front in the game so let me ask this question based on how your army is going to play with respect to terrain Guardsmen are not tough, right? Like, you're just walking around toughness 3-5 up armor. Scion's slightly tougher, but largely this is a fragile army. Does it rely on terrain to be out of line of sight those first couple turns and sneak up the board with, like, one unit at a time with move, move, move? Or is it just in the open, I hope you don't kill it all? No, I mean, it, terrain is crucial. I, I absolutely, and I, I do like the frontline gaming and the, the I think, Adepticon has pretty much taken on the a similar mode to frontline gaming's terrain setup and understanding that I'm island hopping with a lot of terrain, setting up terrain to be these islands of, of defense and security. Sure, I have, as long as I don't advance, I do have that you know small buff to cover save, um, which I can't complain about because taking me from a five up to a four up is a big enough deal for me. But I, I can't, I don't just have the numbers that I'm going to just throw everything out in the open. Sometimes I won't have a choice, but for a lot of cases, I will try and bounce from piece to piece if I can. And, and a lot of that goes into my terrain setup and making sure that I give myself a, a tactical advantage or as much as I can to how I get out there. And a lot of times I can tell when I'm playing against an opponent who is aware of what they're doing, where they're creating their own kill zones for my infantry as they're going to move in. I can I can start to to see where I know I'm going to have that consternation and difficulty as I cross that that no man's land at the middle mark. When you say creating kill zones, do you mean just like firing at your guardsmen? Yes, I mean absolutely. <laughs> yes, I mean it's it's firing. Saying, I don't know if they have to go out of their way to create something that is creating a peerless kill situation. Zones, Paul, it's, it's creating kill zones. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, no, that makes perfect sense, terrain hopping as the method of staying alive. I know 40K is so lethal these days that your t-shirt saved from a guardsman is just not going to get it done. Um, but terrain, terrain will get it done. Walls are impervious to damage. Um, 
I had another question about basically all the random tech choices you have, right? Like Gaunt's Ghost, the Calidus, Eisenhorn. Now, I know a lot of this is to uh, facilitate the narrative you're, you're forging over here with your Gaunt's Ghost theme. But how do, what opportunities do these afford you on the tabletop? What are you looking for with these to do? So the Calidus is a cool deal that can come in. A lot of times I won't bring in the Calidus until later because I'll keep her off the field using her chaos of the battlefield deal that causes, and I'll usually pay for it to last another turn for two CP uh, or I'll wait to whatever aspect. And so she usually comes in turn two or turn three in the backfield targeting a some kind of weaker point. I don't use usually use her to go after characters uh, you know, key characters kind of deal, the thing you would think an assassin would be going after. I usually use the Calidus to go into the back and clean up some kind of chaff unit that's just holding on the back. And so the Calidus can actually open up sometimes, or the Scions can, one of the can do it for the other, open up that hole that we were talking about where I can bring in more units in the following turns. Um, she has the ability to come in closer than nine, right? Or is that gone? She, she does. No, she does. It's It's D6 plus three. Um, and so she can be up to nine or she can be under and, uh, and she can come in there pretty, pretty well swinging. I mean, ignoring invuln saves, um, or doing more damage with her melee. And then her pistol is a, a leadership test effectively that if you, if she rolls over your leadership, it does a, a number of mortal wounds to you. And so she can, she can clean off some of those smaller things out in the back for really well and then get that charge in earlier on to make it that that more effective it's pretty good uh, i've i've rarely regretted having her um i'm sure that there's some more efficient options out there but she's been a lot of fun and i've really enjoyed bringing it along especially given that it's you know the, the model is one of my my kit bashed models and I, I really just appreciate seeing it on the table so does her advanced uh, i guess uh deployment Will that work on multiple units, or does it? You just pick one unit to get closer to, or can you just be closer to enemy models? She can just be closer. So she rolls, and it's you know d6 plus three, and she can be that close to any enemy models when she comes in. So she so like can if you roll show four, up. She could show up seven inches away, and then correct shoot yep. charge whatever. That's really from cool. two different units. Like she wouldn't really charge another or whatever. It's a right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. She's not. It, it's not like multiple units will block her out kind of deal. She really fits your theme of I'm just trying to find a weak spot in my opponent's screen defense, basically my their anti deep strike, and then make that hole bigger and make it wide, and then just throw guardsmen into the hole. Um, so right. I love that little tech piece there. Yeah, and so so from her, I mean, she she's an excellent aspect to that, and then bringing in Eisenhorn, kind of similar to Celestine. Celestine was this awesome mis missile that I could shoot out that would essentially disrupt the the midfield or take on something kind of bulkier that was headed directly for my guard. Eisenhorn's not going to be able to fill that role in the same way. Uh, what he is able to do though is to essentially. He's a psyker, so there's some options there for the the long game, because um, he's the one psyker. So uh, you know, psychic ritual, what have you. Um, but also some of his his buffs. I mean, before he brings out the demon host, which is a summonable thing, um, he gives everybody within 
12 his his 10 leadership which helps uh i mean it it's i've seen some minor consternation caused by my guardsmen just by them continuing to exist when you shoot at a squad and you kill everybody except for two or three people and then suddenly you've got this you've got to exert the extra effort to get rid of those two or three people because they're not going to go away from morale or what have you uh then you know they're going around they're still objective secured holding down parts parts of the field for me to certain extents and an so, extra effort i think you're you're talking about either dedicating another unit to fire at them that they needed to go somewhere else or even potentially that's it for the turn like they were expecting right. that, that now they have to invest a whole another turn's worth of, uh, worth of activity to just remove something that's causing an issue to the scoreboard exactly and so so that that's having eisenhorn giving that leadership buff is a big deal his there's nothing to scoff at in regards of his two psychic powers from the Inquisitor list. They've got some, they're not overpowered by any means, but there is some some advantages to using some of those powers that can either target characters specifically, or uh, he's great that I'll blend him in in some of the, the masses of infantry, and he'll be sitting in the back, uh, not back, but behind some infantry, using these powers that can reach out and and disrupt the field essentially make it a little bit harder um some good utility powers by and large but really this demon host so he calls in this demon host and and if you look at it when he does that he loses the aura of giving out his 10 leadership but it um the demon host is a little bit stronger than your average demon host it's really not that big of a deal but it's still lots of fun um, because of how it gets added up. As long as the demon host reigns within six inches, it gets uh, additions to hit and wound. But the, the demon host itself goes from its normal deal um, to you add two to the model strength, toughness, wounds, and attacks characteristic for that demon host specifically, which is representing his special one. And so what that means is that the demon host we're talking about, a 25-point model, has uh, strength six, toughness six, uh, wound it has six wounds and it has five attacks um, and hitting on threes when it goes into it and it's uh, you know I mean it's nothing crazy it's just AP minus three so there's a little bit of a blender in this aspect going into some of these other chaff units so and it's got its little demonic power random aspect again nothing crazy nothing like over the top like this demon host is going to win me the game but it's uh, it's going to be a lot of fun <laughs> I haven't seen a demon host used. I don't know if ever in my entire life, and I'm like one kid for like 19 years. I this is I'm so excited to have this guy in the list. I he's not even in my list. I just want to play with him. I'm, I'm all just want to get it on the table. This him on the table. Sound very compelling. I'm gonna make a point to come. Oh, I can't. I'm just commentating. Maybe I'll get you on stream, Red. <laughs> maybe, maybe if I'm lucky. That's awesome. So the, I have two more questions I want to ask, and one is like a philosophical guard question. The other one's about your your mission play here. So the philosophical guard question is like, guard don't really do rerolls. They basically just throw more dice at the problem and hope that solves it. They don't have, like, if you have a manticore shoot a tank, and you're like, I need this manticore to kill this tank, and then you just, you know, don't hit it or don't wound it. That's it. That's the manticore shots. In your example earlier, you had your, your hero melt a gun, blow up the Discolord. What if he just passed his invul? So what I'm getting to here is how do you as a guard player create fallback plans and layers to your approach? So you can obviously have a melt a gun do eight damage or, or zero damage when it shoots. And that's a huge swing. So the command rerolls become a, a crucial stratagem that I know that sounds silly. 
Um, but that is a crucial strategy for me and some of those specific damage rolls. Um, there's a lot of cases where, just like you said, I've got the volume of fire to a certain extent. And so it's just about which ones get through where and making sure that I actually make that the one that gets through that that penetrating shot really count. Um, and I mean, you know, a reroll, if, if it's if I roll and it's a two, um, I'm probably going to take the chance and just reroll that damage into something higher. Um, but go looking at it. So I do have some efficiencies in regards of rerolls. Yarick gives the reroll ones. Um, the orders, right? So if you look at my my scions, the HQ that has the uh, I paid the extra CP for the progeny of conflict, which gives him the warlord trait uh, specifically for that faction of scions that allows everyone within six inches of the scions to reroll ones. So they do come with th that little bit degree of efficiency, and then the orders uh, allows them to reroll ones to wound. And so they'll have reroll ones to hit and reroll ones to wound, which I, I'm hoping is enough to, to help that. Because while I might have <laughs> I might have 60 guard infantrymen with las guns that I'm just going to try and pile on, because the orders goes into this other aspect: first rank, second rank. Uh, as long as the target's now within 12 inches, you know we're talking. Uh, nine shots goes to 18 shots goes to 32 shots right um from the that's just one infantry guard squad like i'm gonna roll 32 dice to get their their las guns through um and they're hopefully re-rolling ones from yarrick and if i'm lucky enough to get the laurels of command bubble off of then they're re-rolling ones to wound as well and i know that sounds silly i mean strength three against <laughs> most things but i have seen that kind of that volume come through over time um and it's about trusting the process and just trusting that it's going to whittle things down not letting even if one or two squads do absolutely nothing i've still got maybe two or three more squads within vicinity that I'm going to be able to put that into. And so I just, okay, here we go. I have, uh, you'll see me, I have a little bucket of dice so that it's already preset. Here's exactly what this looks like. If I'm at 12 inches or I'm outside of 12 inches, I'm just going to roll this bucket of dice and pick up the ones and reroll those, keep going, so on and so forth. And having these efficiencies built into my player style as well have helped get my mind right in regards of, just acknowledging that I have to keep going. Um, I, I can't let one or two bad shots constitute the success of the rest of the turn. Until the, I like what the, you said there, yeah. Sarge, but about trusting the process. It's like, you know, you've got some, some, some things that work and what, what a good role do you actually looks like? What a good role from one squad is not picking up three or four custodes. It is incremental damage over time that, you know, yeah. Like you, you can see what it is at the beginning. You know what it looks like at the end and how to get there. Yeah. I mean, it might be, you know, one squad, 32 shots. If I get three or four wounds on custodies, um, <laughs> just three or four wounds is more than enough for me. That's, that's a win for me statistically. Yeah. I think a great point that you just made, Paul, on Red is basically you're setting your expectations to be realistic. It's, you're not playing a hyper efficient tower Eldar codex that just kills everything. You're playing an Astro Militarum Codex from like 2018. So 
you <laughs> you really need to make the most of your positioning and the few shots that get through make them count and, and live with that little bit of damage you do instead of just trying to play an efficiency battle with an outdated codex i love that approach i think that's awesome yeah no thanks and i mean it is it's going to a table and seeing a lot of these playing against these high efficiency lists and everything. I mean, it's, it's all credit to, to these awesome players as well that are out there just piloting it to the best of their ability. I, I'm, I won't say I'm struggling necessarily because as I've said, my expectations are, are, I would like to say pretty well grounded. Um, but I going into it and seeing the opportunities and openings as they come game by game, instead of just having banked on, what my list is going to do across the entire event. It really is going into each tactical event and seeing what I'm going to be able to pull off in this instance versus that instance. And it's really hard for me to say, you know, I'm going to get stuck with, because I mean, at LVO playing two Drukari players, two Custodes, uh, Tyranid player and a Chaos player, um, I, I, yeah, you just can't predict exactly what your lineups are going to be, and well, it was a good time. That really quick. You said <laughs> your expectation was goes two or four at LVO, and then you went four and two at LVO, which is, is twice as good and takes your thirty something percent win rate to a sixty six percent win rate. That's that's no small feat, and you know you could chalk up to a million factors, matchups, missions, whatever. But you just said you played against Drakari twice, Custodes twice, and Tyranids once. Um, we're going to move the Chaos one from this discussion, but. Five out of the six games you played were against top factions at LVO, all of which made an appearance in top eight. So it's not like you're beating up nothing out there. You are really playing games. I mean, giving it my best go as far as all things are concerned, it really is. I mean, the first game I played against uh, Thick City Drukari, uh, while that was still a, you know, a major thing. And it, it honestly, my opponent was awesome. He just, he, he made some, some mistakes in regards of he put all of his uh, racks up front. He thought he was going to soften me up and hold me in place. Um, I don't think he realized the amount of withering fire. And in that previous list I had, uh, I know this sounds silly. I had um, heavy bolter squads. I had nine of them. And so I, I he put his racks up front like he was going to get in my face and, and take it out. And I, I chewed through his racks in turn one. Literally all of his racks were off the field in turn one. Holy crap. And so it was just a matter of taking out his, his, uh, the Talos and Kronos after that. And that took the rest of the game for me. Um, but if he had kept his racks behind, it would have been that much more of a challenge because he was struggling to hold objectives after he did that. And so that, you know, it was me taking advantage of, of, a, of a pilot mistake in a lot of cases for that game. And so I, I was fortunate to pull that off. And then um, again, like I said, in that one game against the Custodes player where in turn one, I went first and my mana cores dropped seven out of eight bikes. Like that's just... There's a lot wow. of good rolling and a lot of bad rolling and, and the swinginess of it. It just cut through to remove seven of eight bikes in a custodes list. Yeah, that's, um, that's gutting. Right, right. What were you feeling in that moment, though? I mean, I, I so it, again, uh, the process, I can't let myself. Um, what I always really fear is uh, outside of, you know, not getting some of the efficiencies out of what I'm trying to do in my process is I can't stop and relish catastrophic success um i know that sounds kind of crazy to say but the, the, just 
by removing those seven of eight bikes, I know that I've just taken out a large part of his maneuver capability because the previous Custodes game where I could do nothing to those bikes, uh, the almost the exact same setup, those bikes just moved through my entire army and got to my mana cores and took them off the field. And so my process had just sustained itself to the extent that I didn't, I, there no longer were these Custodes that were going to just mow through my army, get to the backfield and cut down my, my fire capability. So I just understood my, my reach, my operational reach, my tactical reach had just stayed in the game that much longer by getting rid of that force. And, and I took those out with the mana cores and then actually Celestine moved in and, and finished off that remaining bike. And so in turn one, he was losing, he lost all of his bikes. That's amazing. Um, I don't want to dwell too much on the specifics of, of each sure, matchup, because sure, sure. that's going to move to part two, where we talk about every single match and how you approach it. I know you said every game's its own little tactical snowflake, so I'm very eager to <laughs> hit everyone. Um, one last question before we get into part two, where we teach all that good stuff. Why don't we talk about your plan for primaries and secondaries? And, and like, I know every game is its own unique snowflake, so maybe there isn't a set goal to do every time, but if there's general go-tos or things to look out for when selecting these, how do you go about it? Yeah, so so when it comes to the mission sets, and, and you know, fortunately, Adepticon's championship updates up, and you can see which missions are going into the first four rounds. Um so looking at that, it's just understanding really the deployment zones is my big place that I want to start with and understanding what I'm going to be playing up against. Um, so, yeah, if it's if it's a truncated or a smaller deployment zone or, or less less than broad front, I would say. And by those, I mean corners or um, even hammer and anvil. I, I don't consider necessarily a broad front. It's a deep front but it's not a broad front as much. And so I can focus my forces a little more and their approach to the objectives, um, which is important for my setup. And then with the primaries piece, I, I always think I've got a good chance at least on multiple primaries because I can get across, but understanding that by doing that, I, I've, I'm typically exposing myself that much more, uh, especially if I'm playing against an opponent that that understands really well how to set up the terrain to their advantage as well. And so, go, the primaries piece, I, I can say, you know, I've, I've hit that pretty well between how I approach that with the infantry blob to certain extents. But when it comes to secondaries, um, I, I always think in a lot of cases, it's not too difficult, but engage is a great one just because of how I can get across the field. Unless I'm playing another horde army that I think is going to block battle space like I block battle space. Um, and so in that case, I have to kind of reconsider what I'm going to accomplish for that secondary specifically. Um, there is the new for the emperor uh, secondary, which I think is pretty fun. Uh, it's essentially if an Astra Militarum unit kills a unit in a turn, you get a uh, a victory point up to three victory points in a given turn and so for the emperor is a really fun one to take because i usually expect because of how i focus fire with my process i usually expect i'm gonna kill a unit or something and and it's just a matter of can i kill three units and so looking at an army list uh, of my opponent i for the emperor is not something i'm going to take against custodes it's just they, they don't have as they don't have that many units to begin with. I need 15 units to kill to get that many victory points across the board. Do they have chaff? No, they don't. And so it's just really evaluating that and what that's going to come down to. But in a lot of other cases for other armies, I, I do typically think for the emperor is just enough 
I'm not expecting to go in there and max it because, of course, it would require killing three units in every single battle round. But I do think I can do pretty well off of that. And so that leads me into Shadow Operations. Shadow Operations is a good one that if I think I can pull it off, um, any of those actions are pretty good. Um, it's just a matter of which one I think I'm more efficient with going into which army. So how do I want to go about it? Um, you know, I talked about engage. If I can get in the back lines behind enemy lines, that's a whole other thing. It just depends on what the opponent's bringing battle space wise. Um, and so that, uh, and then of course I have my one off Eisenhorn who can get me a psychic ritual if I wanted to try and do that. Uh, so those, those are the kind of the secondaries I'm looking at. Nice. I, I think that's a great plan. Like having that battlefield supremacy category, be it stranglehold or engage, is always a good one to do. Uh, being able to flex into your Imperial Guard one um, for the Emperor, I think that's an awesome choice. I like that Eisenhorn's in there to give you that psychic ritual or warp ritual um, option. That's a good flex, especially in today's mission era. I think being able to take a psychic secondary is really good. It's awesome. Um, Paul, was there any other questions you want to ask Red before we hop on over to part two? Yeah, we're actually going to start a new segment called, I don't know if we're going to call it the Brutal and Cunning, or the Cunning and Brutal, I like uh, where, we, like where we talk about really like a combo. You know, like either it can, it can be enlist design or it can be something on the table with a with a, a string of stratagems or maneuvers or what have you. But Red, you know, with this with this codex that people spend a lot of time with, as we mentioned, is a little bit of, a, of an older codex, you know, are there some some combos you found, some some is there at least one specific thing that you found like this is pretty sweet if i can pull this off even if it's just positional you know uh, of wh where you put your units with their auras and, and whatnot on the table but it could, it could be something more complex than that is there something that you think of you know if i get this off and if all else fails i'm probably still in a good position or even sure sorry, just to piggyback on that a combo that you have not actually been able to pull off but you've thought of and you really want to uh, if just the right <laughs> scenario anything like that would be great here yeah, so um, I, I can start the one of the great combos that I have built synergy-wise is the mana cores, right? Uh, we've already got the full payload. Its its efficiency with the weapon system is pretty well set into it. But having Yarrick nearby to reroll ones to hit, so typically hitting on fours, rerolling ones, I feel is almost uh, a requirement. And then there's a stratagem that Using Colm Corbeck, this stratagem costs one CP. I can essentially make it free, so that's nothing to me. Uh, to turn this into that, if the mana core can see a unit, it then becomes it. I use the stratagem and it gives it plus one to hit. So now it's hitting on threes. Uh, so hitting on threes, rerolling ones with two D shocks, two D six shots, where I reroll the at least one of those dice. So you know, rolling those two dice, even if I get two threes i'm probably going to pick up one of those threes and re-roll the three because if i get a three four five or six it's a win for me uh and i'll take those chances in almost all cases and so to be able to plus all that up you're you're looking at just as it all mounts increasing levels of efficiency that come right down to the weapon system itself at strength 10 ap minus two flat three damage that a lot of times i can get a pretty good turn out of those that little bubble of synergy if that makes sense so that's one combo that i think is is important for people to really understand um the next one is the scions so as i mentioned the scions come down um they have a reroll one to hit um the next part they have is that's from the hq so this number of meltas comes down they can reroll ones to hit 
give them the order so they all reroll ones to wound. And again, thanks to the balance update, I just give that one order and everybody within six inches can now uh, share that order. So I don't, it's not like I'm, I'm struggling to get those orders across. Um, and so they do that. And then there's some stratagems that they have that came out in the greater good along with everything else that really puts down some, some significant uh, extra effort. I'm pulling it up specifically. So I make sure I don't get it wrong, but the, um, so here it is the killing zone, um, depending on what I'm going into. Right. So the, after I've shot with one of the Scion units, I select the enemy unit that had any models destroyed until the end of that phase when resolving an attack made by a friendly infantry model against that enemy unit, add one to the wound roll. And so I can just stack on. These Scions can essentially show up and eliminate elite units fairly well, um, especially if they have higher toughness. So if they're above toughness four, so I would need threes to wound. And they're already rerolling ones to wound, taking it to that two to wound can just I, I can shut out some of these units pretty effectively um, with some pretty good efficiency here and so the scions have their own little bucket of or, or bubble of efficiency and synergy as well that i'm i'm pretty happy with um the next part being so gaunt's ghost what i didn't hit and i didn't mean to make this a gotcha thing by any means is in combat and i know this sounds silly with gaunt's ghost and imperial guard but they have the ability to make people fight last if you get into combat with them. And so there are some aspects to this where you think you're going to go in and you're just going to trounce them. And they actually have a surprising number of attacks and they are not like a chaff unit that you can just send something in to clear them out. You have to dedicate something that can actually kill them uh, effectively. And so that's just something to keep in mind because they, they, they do have with those six characters and each character having its own rule, um, it is its own bubble of efficiency in and of itself. So those are those are three things out there that I think are, are really big combos for my army that, that I won't say that they operate completely independent, but they do have that where just if I lose a part of my army, I can still use these other aspects to it. Now, something that I've really been looking at and going forward with the newer material is looking at three detachments. And there's a lot of balance and synergy to this combo here. Um, two detachments of Scions, um, one of those being Melta Heavy, the other one being Plasma Heavy, um, going with the, so right now I'm using Trot the Lambda Lions. Yep, tried and true, right? <laughs> the uh, Lambda Lions are an additional AP to all of their weapons. So I've got Meltas that are AP minus five. If they go to Plasmas, they're AP minus four. So bringing in those two, I think is a, a pretty heavy amount of firepower just between those two right there and then bringing the going back to my blob concept with infantry is taking cadians and uh using the new cadian material out of the octarius uh war zone material and making white shield blobs uh probably three or four massive squads of of conscripts that are able to just hang in there and bringing probably Yarek and Commissars to support and their ability to receive orders. You've got to chew through those those models effectively to get anywhere. And so while you're also dealing with this sustained efficiency from these Scion models that keep dropping out of nowhere. So th that's that's something that I'm looking forward to probably trying here and later this season that I'm, I'm pretty excited about as far as synergy and combos go for future army aspects. 
Uh, Red, thanks a lot for sharing those those insights and everything. Uh, your list here in part one. I mean, this is only part one. I'll, I'll have Nick explain where you can find part two in just a minute. Uh, but I want to take a moment to also thank people for listening and so far, keep, you know, keeping up with this. And please leave us some five star reviews, like, share, subscribe. Every single place you can you can get podcast. If you're listening to this on some place, you can leave some comments. Let us know what kind of things you want to hear from these segments. Um, what what kind of things you want to hear from these players here in part one. And again, I want to thank you again for joining us, Nick. Where as we wrap this show up, where can people find part two if they want to continue on with the conversation? Absolutely, thanks, Paul. So you can subscribe to part two on our website, on our YouTube channel, or on our Patreon. Uh, they all work. You can get access to this show's part two, along with Art of War Down Under and Art of War Unbroken, two different shows with totally different premises. But in part two of this show, we're going to go through Red's Imperial Guard list, his Astro Militarum, and break down how he approaches all the different matchups there. So we kind of briefly touched on Custodes and Drukari. We're going to go through them in more detail, along with things like Space Marines, the new hotness Eldar and Tau, uh, all those really cool factions and Red's approach to those games. So check them out on the website, theyardwar40k.com, our YouTube channel, AOW40K. Uh, and you can, of course, listen to this along with all the other podcasts there as well. If you're looking for more high-end content, you can check out our War Room, uh, again, available on our website and through YouTube. That's where we teach all kinds of high-level tactics classes and strategy sessions. We go through individual factions and break down how they work. Know thy enemy factions so you understand what you're playing against and how to beat it. Strategy sessions breaking down the missions, combat tricks, just general tactics to 40k. And of course, co coaching matches from some of the best players in the world like Richard Siegler, John Lennon, and many more. So check it all out in the war room. And not only that, you get to be part of an amazing community. Again, Discord channel. It's very positive. All like-minded individuals just trying to get better about 40K. So check it out if that's something that you're interested in. All right, folks. Thanks for joining us. Now, uh, some of y'all will see next week. Some of y'all will see in a few minutes. Have a great one. See ya. Okay. So I stopped recording. Uh, do I press stop recording on EVR too, Paul? Mm -hmm. Yes.